Hello and welcome to Signify Lighting Talks. My name is Jonathan Weinert, editor for the global brand and marketing team at Signify. This podcast series is our unbiased, unvarnished, and always engaging educational companion. It's an addition to what we bring to you via the Signify Academy, which you can find online at signify.com academy. In this series of episodes, we cover the intriguing and thought-provoking world of connected lighting. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Philips was founded in 1891 to produce what were among the first incandescent light bulbs in Europe, and it's still going strong today, 132 years later, under the name Signify. Today, I'm joined by Greg Nelson, the business leader for professional systems and services at Signify, to talk about how we got here. Hello, Greg, and welcome. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you. Greg, you've been working for Signify and Philips before that for almost 30 years. What have you been doing during that time and what are your responsibilities today? Well, first of all, it's hard to believe that it's almost 30 years and by almost, I say 28 years. So uh, that's something a bit more than 20% of the history of Philips and Signify. Um, But it's certainly been one of the most dramatic periods of change. And I've been privileged to be a part of that. Uh, I, I first started out in conventional to- technologies, and I covered really everything from HID, fluorescent, halogen, and even incandescent in my career. And then I had the opportunity to work through the LED transition, and now in the connected world of professional systems and services. Uh, my journey's taken me across the globe, allowing me to experience our business in North America, Europe, and Asia. Additionally, it's covered roles in innovation, product management, and marketing. Prior to my present role, I was head of research for uh, Signify. And currently, I'm leading our professional systems and service business. And I'm very proud of the role that we're playing in the digitalization of lighting. Greg, let's go right back to the beginning. How did Philips start out and what were the company's original ambitions? Well, well, I think Philips started with one goal, right? And that was to uh, manufacture and sell incandescent light bulbs. Uh, They started in 1891. That was only about 10 years after the first successful incandescent lamp was invented. Um, Their skill was not only in manufacturing, but also in being able to sell these bulbs. And that helped them grow into the third largest producer in Europe by 1912. In 2014, sorry, in 1914, they started the Philips Research Lab, which began a long history of innovation for the company. And it helped them use lighting as a technological springboard into consumer electronics through the vacuum tube for radio and later television, as well as into healthcare through X-ray tubes. Uh, So it was really the foundation of the entire uh, Philips company. But it also meant that they contributed significantly to nearly every major innovation in the history of lighting, from the development of fluorescent lamps in the 1930s up through compact fluorescent lamps in the uh, the 1980s, where they uh, started that business, and many, many innovations in, uh, for instance, uh, high-intensity distilled lighting. 
when did fluorescent lighting come on the scene and, and what specific innovations did Philips contribute to that uh, kind of lighting? Well, that came on the scene, I think it was the end of the 1920s was the first kind of uh, prototypes. But what really happened there, as with any technology, and maybe we can talk about that with LED uh, afterwards, um, there was an initial breakthrough. Someone had the insight to use low pressure discharges and a phosphor conversion to generate light. But there was a lot of work done over the 1930s to make it practical, to make it compact. And Philips contributed some of the uh, main breakthroughs in phosphor technologies that enabled successful and uh, for that time compact, energy efficient uh, fluorescent lighting, which was a, a breakthrough compared to incandescent lamps. Um, if you fast forward to the 1980s, I think it was Philips then that again through phosphor innovation uh, and you know making these lamps more compact was able to develop and uh, bring to market the first comp truly compact fluorescent lamps that could actually be a screw-in replacement retrofit for incandescent lamps. So that sparked a whole trend of energy um, efficiency improvement where consumers for the first time could really unscrew an incandescent lamp, screw in a fluorescent lamp, and have an instant savings in energy. And of course, that's been something that now is largely taken over with LED lamps, but the same concept, right? That uh, retrofitability for an older technology. And I understand that that screw-in fluorescent lamp also had a much longer uh, service life than an incandescent lamp as well. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. That was one of the key differentiators. Incandescent lamps typically only live a thousand or maximum a few thousand hours. And fluorescent lamps are inherently much longer lived. So you might have uh, the opportunity to have a lamp that lasts uh, 15 or 20,000 hours. But uh, actually in the in the 90s, um, Philips brought to market uh, what was known as the QL lamp, which actually uh, removed the electrodes. It was an induction lamp. It removed the electrodes from the fluorescent lamp, which was one of the key lifetime limiting mechanisms. And those QL lamps would last for 60 or 100,000 hours uh, in the application. So that was a tremendous breakthrough uh, for fluorescent lighting technology and long life. You and I have talked in the past about what we call inflection points in the kind of the lighting timeline. Um, by far the most important and perhaps the most disruptive inflection point in the electric lighting storyline was the introduction of LEDs for illumination, beginning as early as the late 1990s. Um, I understand that Philips got into the LED game relatively early uh, in the mid 2000s. Could you talk a little bit about how this came about? Um, what were the advantages and challenges of the early LEDs and, and how did this change the nature or direction of the company? Sure, LEDs have been transformative, not only for Philips, but also for the entire lighting industry. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that the invention of the LED actually is uh, much, much older. So it, uh, it all started in the 1920s. Um, with the invention of the first light emitting diode. 
Um, but for a long time, there were a couple issues with LEDs, right? It was um, uh, not very efficient. It was long-lived, but um, the color choice was very limited. So initially there were red LEDs and, and infrared even, and, and maybe green LEDs, but um, the holy grail remained finding a blue LED. And blue was important because with red, green, and blue, you can make white. But also with blue, you can, through a phosphor conversion, a down conversion, you can also make white light. But it took until the mid-1990s, 1995 to be exact, where uh, Nakamura in Japan uh, invented, uh, was the first to invent the blue LED. And that was the technology breakthrough that really uh, set loose the engines of innovation. Uh, Philips was on top of that from the beginning. And I think it was 1999 where they then set up a joint venture with Agilent, the former Hewlett-Packard, um, and that, that joint venture was called Lumilets, and that was really our start on the leading edge of making white, light, high-efficient LEDs. Um, and in the early days, there wasn't much light output. It took time to mature. There was a lot of innovation and investment that went in, and Philips was doing a couple of things. They were... Um, investing especially in the patent portfolio and uh, for instance the acquisition of color kinetic which makes our spectacular public facade lighting uh shows uh with all kinds of colors color kinetics was also acquired largely for intellectual property uh, they held one of the key patents on what's called pulse width modulation of leds and that enables the control not only of color, but of dimming uh, LED lights. So uh, they were doing that. They were building up on the uh, light emitting uh, diode, the, the L0, the L1 source. And they were also thinking about the future, about how this would transform uh, not only the conventional lighting technologies like incandescent and even fluorescent, but also looking to how it would um, transform the luminaires business and the ability to control light sources uh, through digital controls. So by the time LED lights started to become really practical, and that was maybe from the period 2012 up through the present, when it really started to hit the mainstream in terms of conversion, uh, Philips was later extremely well positioned in order to grow with that uh, with that market. I remember that in the early days, the big debate in the lighting design, lighting specification community was whether LEDs would ever be viable for general illumination. Uh, but that uh, and that was a combination, I believe, of not only light output but also color consistency and other kinds of qualities of the of the light itself. Uh, around when did that start to become uh, generally accepted as a uh, as a viable alternative to conventional light sources? Yeah, it, that that was the key question. The first joke was uh, when people looked at the first LEDs, they said, "Is it on?" So uh, the light output was very low. 
And um, you're right, the color had issues, right? The color rendering was not good. The color variation was high. And in order to get a bit more output, uh, it was easier for the LEDs if the light was a bit bluish. So they got a reputation for having a very unfavorable color cast. Uh, all of these were barriers to um, practical use and acceptance in the market. Um, but perhaps the biggest barrier was, was cost. They were extremely expensive. And um, even if you could make a good lamp, you could not sell it uh, for a price that people would accept. Now, that, that really started to change. And there was an interesting thing that happened in the US in uh, 2009, and that was known as the L-Prize uh, competition. So uh, it was a lighting prize. And um, the first contest was about developing a, a practical replacement for an incandescent lamp. And I still remember the specifications. It was to be 90 lumens per watt, color rendering 90, right? And it was also a, a color temperature of 2,700 Kelvin, which is a fairly warm color temperature. And at that time, those specifications were considered impossible. So it was really uh, something that uh, was thought to be unreachable. And, and Philips really made a bet to go for it. They put the, uh, that to the absolute uh, priority to win the L Prize. Huge team of scientists, engineers around, working closely with, LED, with LumaLEDs, taking the absolute best bin that you could of the LED, regardless of yield, regardless of cost, in order to deliver a performance that would match the specification of the L prize. And we won it. And that was extremely impressive uh, achievement that really showed that this could be done. Those early lamps, they were so well engineered that there were also specifications on lumen maintenance and on color shift and all of these things. And either, the last time I heard, and these had gone way beyond their design life, they're still on test, I believe, somewhere, there was hardly any shift in the lumen maintenance. So near 100% maintenance and almost no color shift over life. So those were astounding achievements, but they were still phenomenally expensive. Um, and then the next challenge, and this was the tick-tock of the LED lamp innovation process. You got to the good enough point where you had an acceptable product, and then you had to race after cost down. So we saw those early lamps, which might have cost $30, $50, and then it became 20, and then it became 15. Uh, and we all knew that the market breakthrough would really come when you got below those magic price points, uh, if you think in dollars, $9.99 on the shelf in Home Depot, or ultimately $4.99, and you see it even much cheaper today, right? So to stay in that cost race has been an equally important part because also that's what triggers the mass of the consumer market in the mainstream to change over to LED. Well, the price has come down significantly, but also the efficacy has gone up. We can do much better than 90 lumens per watt now, isn't that right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's been a that's been a big thing recently. The the so-called A class uh, um, replacement lamps, where we go for what we call ultra energy efficiency, and um, 
sometimes we got so focused on cost down and the, the best good enough point that we actually forgot that there's also a market to get to the lowest energy consumption. So you saw these, um, you know, in, in the traditional incandescent comparison, we always reference to a 60 watt incandescent, right? Now in a compact fluorescent lamp that was 13 watts, and then in LED, we thought we were doing great to get to nine watts, but now we talk about four watts, right? So um, that is something that we continue to bring innovations and you see efficacies going 200 lumens per watt and more. Philips Lighting became independent and changed its name to Signify beginning in 2018. Um, what did this change signify, if you'll excuse the pun? Um, and how has the company's focus changed uh, since then? Well, I think first of all, it was a uh, and having lived through that that separation, the first reaction was, "What do you mean? We won't be part of Philips anymore, right? Because I think a lot of us and 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 people who had been in the lighting industry many, many years um, felt very attached to the heritage of lighting in Philips. Um, but as, as we looked at it and we thought about also the changes that the lighting industry was going through, we saw also a strong benefit of being our own company, being a smaller company, but uh, still in the leadership position of lighting globally. So it was our chance to to shape a new future, to take our own direction. And I think we went for two years under the name of Philips Lighting. And of course, we still use the brand name of Philips for our lighting products. But in 2018, we introduced a new company name. Uh, and that company name was, was chosen to be Signify. And I think it really does signify the, the choice of a new direction and a new future for lighting. Um, we talked about it that light is um, conveying meaning, that it's a new intelligent language um, which communicates with people. And I personally believe light anyway communicates with people, that it is um, fundamentally impacting our lives. And that's about the quality of how we do the light, how we set the scenes, that we have enough light, that we have healthy light. But it's also about it, light being used for communication. And some people might not know this, but we already use light to communicate in order to do things like what we call indoor positioning services. So via your mobile phone in some retail shops, just like uh, global positioning uh, outside, you can locate your phone in a retail shop or find certain things. And that's using information coded into the light. Now, we also do that at a much higher speed, and that's something we like to call Li-Fi, which is under our brand True Li-Fi. And there we can uh, transmit data securely at gigabits per second um, over the lighting in a room. And that opens a whole new world of opportunities for lighting. So you're talking about uh, lighting as a con data conduit, both in terms of the, the beam of light itself and the lighting system. Is that correct? When we talk about connected lighting, we correct. talk about being able to uh, collect and, and distribute data via the lighting system. But you're also talking about 
communicating data directly through the light beams themselves. No, absolutely. So I think when we talk about the digitalization of lighting, um, indeed, we have this, this uh, Li-Fi direction communicating over light, but we also have a direction where we really believe that a key another key transformation of the lighting industry is that lighting becomes connected, it becomes intelligent, meaning we can control it. We might be controlling it in terms of the light output, but also the uh, color of the light, uh, for instance. Um, in addition to that, once the lighting is connected, it is in a very powerful position to do other things. So um, the light is often on top of the road or in the ceiling of the room. And that gives a great viewpoint perspective on what's happening in a space in order to do sensing in various modalities. Um, it's also interesting because it gives you a place, a place to mount the sensors, but it also gives you power for the sensors. And I think that combination of uh, the view on the world that we have, the real estate for mounting sensing, the ability to backhaul the data, but also the ability to power the sensors makes it a preferred location in terms of the internet of things in professional and consumer spaces. Greg, could you talk a little bit about how the whole digitalization journey for lighting started with um, for Signify? Sure. I think, of course, connected lighting is around for some time with the uh, the introduction of, for instance, the Dolly standard in the 1990s, where Philips was closely involved. But it really started, connected lighting really started, uh, especially with wireless technology. In my mind, there's two major milestones. And one was the introduction of Hue, and I think that was in December of 2012. And that was truly an incredible breakthrough that people could buy a lamp that not only was wirelessly connected and controlled from their smartphone, but uh, gave a rich palette of colors. So although it was expensive for the time, people uh, uh, did not um, believe maybe in those uh, price points, but the early adopters loved it and it has become absolutely the way to control lighting in your home. Also, in about the same period of time, we introduced the first connected system, cellular connected systems for street lighting, and that was with our CityTouch venture. Um, and that was a breakthrough in how cities could manage their lighting assets and uh, not only control the lighting, but also manage uh, measure energy um, consumption and uh, transform their city management experience. So that become more, became one of the first um, IoT uh, experiences for cities across the globe. And of course, that's grown into our Interact City proposition today, which is managing millions of light points globally. Do you think that connected lighting products and systems can now begin to take advantage of AI capabilities to deliver data-enabled services and capabilities beyond elimination, shall we say? No, absolutely. The opportunity is there. Um, the challenge is finding the right data and the value in the data. 
and turning that into meaningful insights. And I think uh, AI, as it's generally termed, artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, will play key roles not only, as we say, at the edge, so edge processing of data before we ship it to the cloud to make sure we're only shipping what is uh, interesting and insightful and also respecting uh, privacy, for instance, but also then in the cloud applying advanced artificial intelligence to make meaningful insights for our customers about what is happening in a space or on a road, uh, which might affect their energy optimization, but might also uh, affect their health and security in an application. Greg, where do you think we're headed now? Uh, could you give uh, kind of peer into the future a little bit for our, our listeners? Sure. I, I think in terms of the waves we talked about, um, I don't want to say the LED conversion is over, but the biggest part of what we sell, I think 90% uh, or so of what we sell is already LED. But what's in the market is still 50% LED, right? So there's still a lot to go in terms of converting the world to LED lighting. The next step is connecting the world, right? And we're making good progress on that. Connecting the world is now coming into the mainstream. But there may be... 25, 30% of what we sell is connected today, but only a few percent of what's existing in the market in the installed base is connected. So we're starting to enter the mainstream in terms of connectivity. But then as a next step, having sensing and having that data to observe the world and then sensing different modalities from counting the number of people to uh, how much noise is there in a space? Uh, to what's the temperature and the humidity in integrating that with uh, HVAC systems and buildings? That's really in its infancy, right? So we see a huge uh, growth opportunity going forward, not only in sensing and bringing that data out, but also in the uh, analysis and taking action on top of that data that lighting provides a whole new value into the uh, the user space. So we have a whole series of waves, but there's a uh, increasing stack of value that we see based on what lighting can do. I wanna thank you very much for joining us today, Greg. My pleasure, Jonathan. Signify Lighting Talks is a podcast series featuring the leading thinkers and speakers from the world of lighting. My name is Jonathan Weinert. On behalf of Signify, the global leader at lighting, I wish you a brighter life and a better world.